Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Oh, it didn't sound like there was a saint in the house. I said, good morning, saints. I am so thankful to be here this morning. It has been a long and exhausting, spiritually exhausting, mentally exhausting week. You know, sometimes when you try and do right or you try to stay in the will of God, that's when Satan shows up, isn't it? You know, I was listening to a sermon earlier this week where the pastor said that Satan doesn't come at the end of a temptation. He usually shows up at the beginning. He doesn't have to worry about you at the end. He knows he has you at the beginning if you fall to the temptation. It's sort of like when you go online, you Google something like a pair of shoes or a new coat, a new dress, a new suit, or whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden, whatever you Googled follows you across all of your social media. Have you, that ever happened to you? That's sort of the way temptation and sin works. He, he watches what you Google or what, what you, you, you might be tempted by, and then he just lets it show up here and there, here and there, tempting you, slowly chipping away at your resolve until you buy the product, until you give up your birthright. But that's not our sermon today. That's not my message. That was just to break the ice and to ease my nerves. So, the title of our sermon today is Finding Invincibility in Christ. When I was a teenager, I thought I was invincible. All the way through my 20s, maybe, maybe even up into my early 30s. I believe most young people think they're invincible, especially young men. They carry this sense of invincibility. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can stop me. This young, wide-eyed wide open freedom, if not naive outlook on life. What if I told you, you could be invincible too, right now, at any age? What if I told you, you could have the power over anxiety, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, lust of the eyes? You could have power over depression, alcoholism, tobacco, anger, resentments, and bitterness. Oh, you guys don't believe me. I know it sounds like a late-night infomercial or the latest self-help author hawking their new book. If you told me this a few months ago, I wouldn't have believed you either. But haven't we been told this our entire Christian lives? Really? Romans 8.31 says, 8.37, I'm sorry. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. How many times have you heard these verses thrown around when a big obstacle is staring you in the face. Or Isaiah 41, 13, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. This promise we claim when we're afraid, maybe when something at work or school gets too big for us to handle. Or what about 1 Peter 5, 7? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This one, when we're apprehensive about something or your anxiety has overtaken you to the point where you can't deal with it anymore. 
But when you really think about it, finding invincibility through Christ, is invincibility something that we really ascribe to Jesus? I mean, it's not even a blip on the radar as we prepare to become Christians or as we journey every day as believers. But invincibility is a real thing for Christians. And it can be had at a price. And today, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I will show you how. Let us pray. Father God, in this little while, please say much. Hide me behind the cross so that the people at home and those sitting here within earshot don't see me but you. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, so that the words that I speak may, just, may be as resounding as Jesus, as powerful as your servant Paul, and as controlled and delivered the way Peter spoke to the Sanhedrin. Forgive me, Father, for I am not worthy, but use me today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word invincible as incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. Let that sink in. Incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. When the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to speak on this, it was quite clear. I was reading something on the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ, and it talked about how Jesus' prayer life and connection with the Father was the source of his power. And how we as believers could have that connection and power too. I immediately thought about Peter and how he denied Christ three times before the cock crowed. But not a few months later at Pentecost, he was devoted to prayer and ministry. He and John were arrested for healing a crippled man and preaching on the resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin questioned them. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, scriptures say, spoke with authority and certainty about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was invincible. I thought of Stephen. He gave a speech admonishing the Sanhedrin on resisting the Holy Spirit. So powerful and challenging that the listeners stoned him to death. He didn't try to run away or cover up from the stones. No, he called out, Lord Jesus, welcome me. And he asked, he asked that his murderers not be blamed for what they had done. Invincible. The other person I thought of was Christ himself. And this is where the meat of my message comes from today. If you would, turn to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. When you get there, just say amen. amen. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him and said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and, attempt, and attended to him. Invincible. Now, have you ever been hungry or hungry at the end of the day and your mind gets all foggy? Better yet, you skip breakfast and you have a test or a meeting very early the next day and you're not really at your best. Or try exercising at the end of a, of a long day on an empty stomach. You just might pass out. So what gave Jesus the mental fortitude to match wits with Satan at what should have been his weakest point? And it wasn't a coincidence that Satan attacked him at this time. Mark chapter 1 says, Satan had been there during the 40 days tempting Jesus. If he could get Jesus to fall even before his ministry started, then he could ascend to the highest heights of heaven, or so he thought. What gave Jesus the victory over Satan in his wilderness time? There's a clue in this story and the stories of Stephen, Peter, and John. Acts 4 verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, Acts 7 verse 55 says, But when Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked towards heaven. Matthew 4 verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Each of these men, including our, our Savior, faced adversity and death and were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were invincible. So is that it? All I have to do is ask for the Holy Spirit and we can be invincible? Yep, it's really that simple. Salvation is free. We only have to accept it. Then the journey begins. This means asking, receiving, and believing in Christ and cultivating a relationship so when you find yourself in your wilderness moment or season, the Holy Spirit will be there with you. When problems arise that you seem not to be able to overcome, and when temptations overtake you, you can call on the mighty name of Jesus. However, preparation starts before the wilderness. Preparation starts in the early morning hours when you spend time alone with Jesus. Preparation starts when you spend time in the Word, meditating on Scripture. Preparation starts in your prayer life, in your prayer journal, on your prayer list as the Lord answers your prayers and builds your, your faith. So when you are in the wilderness and Satan thinks he has you at your weakest and you cry out, Lord Jesus, you can recall a Scripture, a promise that will rebuke Satan. Or Jesus sends help right in the nick of time so you won't be conquered overcome or subdued, making you invincible in Christ Jesus, able to overcome your wilderness challenges, whatever they may be. I'm no expert. I'm a sinner with my own wilderness challenges to navigate. But let's look at it like this. Mount Everest is the, high, is the most famous mountain in the world, 22,035 feet. Located on the Nepal-Tibet Nepal border, this global beacon of exploration and endeavor lures hundreds of climbers every year. But as Kami says, without a Sherpa, there is no expedition. Descended from the Tibetan heritage, the Sherpa community are an ethnic group, indigenous to the Himalayan region. But many people outside of Nepal, the word Sherpa has become synonymous with working as mountain guides. Mostly young men, 
Sherpa guides not just muscle, are not just the muscle behind any expedition, carrying gear such as oxygen bottles, water, and food. They are also expert navigators. Enduring freezing temperatures of negative 22 degrees all the way down to negative 58, they help climbers negotiate ice falls, avalanches, and extreme altitude. From Camp 4 to the summit, climbers will enter what is commonly known as the death zone. Operating above 23,000 feet, 95% of climbers will rely on supplementary oxygen carried in bottles. Sherpas must ensure their clients can serve their oxygen for, for the entire journey. I keep checking everyone's oxygen levels in the event of extreme weather. I make, I make strategic decisions about whether we are to descend or ascend to avoid developing situations in the mountains. Working as a mountain guide since 1992, last month, Cammy broke his own world record, not just once, but twice. On May 15th, he reached the summit and climbed in the summit with 15 clients from China before, before returning to the base camp. And on May 21st, with a group of 11 climbers from India, he hit the summit again. I treat every climb with the same sincerity as the first, says Cammy. Whenever a client is successful, it makes my day. I believe in breaking records. I believe breaking records is just a byproduct. Now, what Peter, John, and Stephen, and yes, even Jesus had, was a Sherpa. They had the Holy Spirit. In each of their wilderness moments, without the life-sustaining infilling of the Holy Spirit, our oxygen, Peter's life would not have been changed to stand boldly before the Sanhedrin or to heal the sick. Excuse me. Stephen wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been able to hold his head up high and forgive those who stoned him. Christ was baptized and received the Holy Spirit immediately to sustain him during his wilderness. So why do we go into the wilderness alone? With no oxygen, without the Holy Spirit, no help, no guide. I think sometimes we have it backwards. We find ourselves in the midst of the wilderness. We pray for God to help us through whatever trial we are going through, self-inflicted or otherwise, and we stumble our way around enduring struggle after struggle, only to end up feeling defeated or back struggling with the same thing, sometimes giving up altogether. What I'm saying is, what if we went into the wilderness with a guide, with the Holy Spirit? The moment we enter a wilderness season or trial, we let the Holy Spirit shoulder that burden. So when we let Christ live through us at our weakest, we become, at our weakest when we become tempted. But it has to start before the wilderness. We have to ask, receive, and believe before the wilderness. We have to cultivate and make time for prayer and devotion with our Lord before the trials start. We must give up something if we want to be invincible. The professional athlete gives up almost everything to be at the top of his or her game. The top scientists and doctors and inventors give up most, not, most, if not all, of their social lives to become the best in their fields. If Jesus is what we honestly, if, if Jesus is what we honestly believe sustains us, we and we truly want to be like him, we have to spend time with him.
When Satan tried to tempt our Lord and Savior with what was already his, the kingdoms of this world and the finer things, Jesus let him know in no uncertain terms that he was his Lord and God and not the other way around, invincible, incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. Easter weekend was this last weekend, and we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And today I'm speaking to you about the invincibility of our Lord that we can have in him. Satan tempts us in the same way he tried to tempt Jesus. He takes what we already have and offers it back to us as if it's his to give. And we give up our power willingly. And we fall to the temptations. He approaches us in our weakest moments when we've isolated ourselves, when we're alone, when we are spiritually famished because we aren't attending church or not connected when we are attending. We are withering on the vine. Along comes Satan, ready ready to sift us like wheat, just as Jesus told Peter he would do to him in Luke 22, 31. What I've learned and am still learning and studying is if I want to be like Christ, I have to study the life of Christ. And this story in Matthew is so powerful to me because Jesus shows us to be invincible, how to be invincible to Satan's deceptions, even in our weakest moments. By staying connected with the Holy Spirit through prayer and devoting our time like our lives depended on it. Christ's 40-day and 40-night experience was hard, harder than we can imagine. 40 days being tempted by Satan, emaciated from the lack of food, goaded by Satan because Satan knew Jesus had given up his heavenly stature and his divinity to become human. So this was his time to strike before Jesus went into the wilderness, before his 40-day experience, before he exposed himself to this brutal experience, Jesus was connected to the Father through the Holy Spirit. He studied the Word of God. He memorized Scripture. He had taught in the synagogues. He was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit the very day. And I'm sure his Father's words were with him in the wilderness. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. He had prepared for the wilderness experience well before Jesus was invincible, and we can be too. Just as the Sherpa guides carried oxygen for the journey to the summit of Mount Everest, the Holy Spirit, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to provide the latter rain we will need to make it through the last days, our extreme wilderness. Otherwise, we won't make it. We can't tap into, we can tap into that power now daily, just as John, Peter, Stephen, and Jesus did while he was here on this earth. We don't have to wait. We can't afford to wait until we are tempted or fall or are in the midst of struggle. In Paul's letter to, letters to the Ephesians, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, he writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we, not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, above all, taking the shield of faith with you, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts the wicked one throws at you. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Jesus, Peter, and John had on their armor before the wilderness. The battle was daily. And we must walk daily with the full armor of God. It doesn't mean we won't stumble, fall, or take hits, but our guide will be there with us with the extra we need to make it and make sure that we get back up. Invincible, incapable of being overcome conquered or subdued. I didn't plan to speak on this, but like I said, I was reading, and this is what the Holy Spirit um, brought to my mind. And I, I believe the reason that the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind is because I am a self-sustaining Christian. I don't know if, if you all know what that means. Self-sustaining means I do everything under Lloyd's will and Lloyd's power. So if I am a self-sustaining Christian, that means that I am the God of my life. That means I, I get up every day, I go to work, I'm in sales, so I, I sell things, I, I pray superficially and ask for God to give me sales, to fill the coffers of my business, to sustain my house, but I believe that I am the one that go out, kill it, and bring it home. Self-sustaining. Now, I don't know if there are any of you that are like that. But the last few years, I've been going through a wilderness. And I will tell you, Satan's been kicking my butt. The armor that we create in this world will not protect us spiritually. I don't care how fancy the suits are, the clothes, the cars, the houses, how many friends you have, how many likes on Facebook, how many clicks you get on Instagram, they won't be with you in the wilderness. The reason I chose Matthew 4, 1 through 11, in its simplicity, was because Jesus gave us a roadmap. A roadmap. Jesus didn't wait until Satan came to him. He took the fight to Satan. The very first verse, it says that Jesus went into the wilderness or was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. My wife and I were discussing this as, as I was preparing for this, and I said, why do we wait? Why do we wait to have our wilderness experiences? Why are we so afraid of the wilderness? When God tells us that he will send us a helper, God gives us a blueprint, a roadmap. All we have to do is read it. All we have to do is put it to memory, just like we do songs, just like we do other stories. So when we're in the wilderness, 
We're not alone. But how many of you, like me, have had wilderness moments and you pray, God, help me get out of this. Help me through this. Take this burden from me. Instead of praying, God, what do you want me to see in this wilderness moment? What do you want me to overcome? What do you want me to lay aside? What do you want me to cast off? Satan's attacking me, Lord. He's attacking me. I can't, I can't deal, not without you. Fill me with your spirit. Purify me in this wilderness. Yes, Jesus was hungry. He probably lost a lot of weight. And to us and to Satan, he probably looked like easy pickings. But I tell you, he was the most powerful at that time. He had spent 40 days and 40 nights with the creator, with the Holy Spirit, with the angels. And Satan would keep coming and keep coming. I can almost hear the scary, the scary movie music in the background as Satan comes and tries to tempt him and tries to tempt him. But the Holy Spirit says no as he washes over him. Remember this scripture. Remember this verse. Remember who you are. Do we know who we are? Do we? Or do we come to church and we sit in the pews with empty hearts, with false beliefs, saying we are children of God, that we believe we are heirs, that we will sit on the throne one day, but do we believe that? When Jesus cast Satan off, he told them, told him that he was his Lord, his God, that Satan was to serve him. When Satan came into the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve, he came with a lie that caused him to believe that God had lied. But if they would have thought that I was created in the image of the Most High, that I am just as divine, I am no more smaller than this being that's coming to tempt me, if they would have stood on the word of God, then I wouldn't be standing here today. There wouldn't be any wilderness moments on earth. But that didn't happen. They fell. Our great, 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 great to the hundred thousand power grandparents fell. And here we are on a fallen earth, bickering over the crumbs that Satan decides to give us, not believing that we are the heirs of the most high God, being defeated and trampled. We are at war. And we refuse to put on the full armor of God. But instead, we put on Facebook, we put on Pinterest, we put on suits of worldly clothes. We put on masks and we walk through the doors of the tabernacle of Jesus Christ and we say, happy Sabbath. We go home and we shed ourselves back into our palaces. Isolated and alone. And Satan is right there with us, telling us we are no good, whispering, you're no better than the last thing you did. God could never love you. Your wife doesn't love you. Your children don't like you. They don't listen to you. And we fall. We fall. We stop coming to church. Then the pastor calls, or an elder, or a deacon, or a brother or a sister in Christ 
but we've been gone from church for so long, we're afraid to come back through the doors because how would the people of God look at me? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I've always viewed this place as the triage center, as the hospital for me. I didn't used to like church. Sometimes I don't, even now. But it gives my soul rest to be around other believers. It gives me comfort to know that spiritually I'm at war and I have brothers and sisters who are battling with me. It gives my heart peace to know that I can maybe speak to someone who's going through something similar to me. But what if we never share our wilderness moments? What if we never tell each other what we go through on a daily basis as Christians? What if we never tell our children and then we wonder why they want to be worldly? In Europe, over 100,000 millennials, as they call them, every year leave the church and never come back. Statistically, whatever happens in Europe happens in the United States. And we can see it. We can see it. Now, this, this part is not part of what I was prepared to say. But sometimes you just have to go with what the Spirit leads. Maybe there's someone at home watching or someone sitting here today that feels the same way I do. Maybe there's somebody that is going through or has been through or will go through again a wilderness moment and feels like there's nowhere to turn. Now I want to speak specifically to the men in the room and the men watching at home. Because the Bible tells us that we are the priests of our household. That we are to be leaders. But we can't be leaders on islands, alone, marooned. We're afraid to come to one another and say what we're going through, that we suffer from lust, alcoholism, depression, anxiety. Yes, in the church, in the church. And then we fall. And our families are snatched up by the demons. Our families are scattered. Our wives don't trust us. Our children don't look up to us. This is the triad center. This is the place where when you've been in the wilderness, you should be able to come back to to get fixed up, patched up, prayed for, to get that armor back at 100% if you're a gamer and go back out into the wilderness. Invincible. I'm not invincible yet, but the Bible says that we will all be like Christ before we leave this place to go to heaven. So I will be invincible. And daily I fight with the help of the Holy Spirit, to be invincible. Thank you.